0: What I would consider very startling, uh, disturbing, shocking facts. Throw them up, please, Sam. Nearly half of the world's population, which equates to more than 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. Fact number two, more than 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, which is categorized as less than $1.25 a day. Fact number three, one in two children on our planet live in poverty. 1.1 billion people in developing countries have inadequate access to water, which has a domino effect into other aspects of their life, health, mortality. Fact number five, 1.8 million child deaths deaths each year uh, as a result of diarrhea. Which I've often said from this platform, we in the Western world consider diarrhea inconvenient, but not life-threatening. Number six, 870 million people worldwide do not have enough food to eat. Now, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when he walked this planet, he said, he declared what he considered a truth, that God is good. And yet, this, this, this is not an, an historical account of things that happened in our grandparents' era. This is a screenshot of what is happening on our planet right here, right now, today, as we sit in air-conditioned comfort. Jesus said, God is good. Yet, I read about these sort of statistics, and I see other tragedies globally, and also even in lives of friends and family members, and... I wonder if you're like me, you find it very difficult sometimes to reconcile whether what Jesus said is actually true. Is God good? And that's the big question we're going to wrestle with this morning. Is God good? Walter Isaacson, who uh, was uh, Steve Jobs' official biographer, in his biography of Steve Jobs, he recounts, A 13-year-old, Steve Jobs, who at that age, as a young boy, a teenage boy, had gotten hold of a copy of Life magazine. And in that magazine, Steve Jobs encountered stories of young boys similar age to him in the African country Burundi who who were starving and dying. And he took that magazine and he took it to the pastor of the church that he was a part of at the time and he asked the pastor, the question, how is it possible that a good God could allow this to be happening to, to children in Burundi? And his, his pastor gave him what he considered to be, at the age of 13, 13, an inadequate answer. And as a consequence, Steve Jobs, at that age, walked away from God, walked away from church, never to cross that door again and the reality is and the reason that we're tackling this question today is that the conclusions that we draw about God in the midst of difficult circumstances will either draw drive us towards him or drive us away from him just who is he and at his core is he good because Like many, and I would think if I'm a betting man in a a room with this many people, some of you have asked the question, just like Steve Jobs at the age of 13 did, how would a good God, how could a good God possibly allow those sorts of things to happen to innocent, helpless people? It doesn't seem fair. You might have even asked the question because of something that's happened to you. God, if you're so good, how is it that you're allowing this to happen to me? I'm committed to following you, and yet bad things happening to me, it it just doesn't seem fair. I want to insert a little caveat before we drill down any further. It's a a quote that I read recently from Bill Johnson. Now, Bill Johnson leads a church called Bethel Church in Central California, and this is what he... uh, very poignantly wrote, automatically thinking everything that happens is God's will is a lazy way to live. We live in a war. That will actually go a long way to answering the question of why bad things happen. God created a planet that was perfect, that was good, that had no evil. But then the devil got involved Sin happened, and we live in that world today. We live in a broken, fallen, sin-filled world, and and that's not God's will. God's will was perfection. God's will was holiness. God's will was an unbroken, unfettered relationship with, with every human We live in a fallen world. Not everything that happens in the world is God's will. That'll go a long way to answering the question that you and I may have asked at some point in time. Why do bad things happen to good people? We live in a fallen world. We're in a war. The devil is out to kill, to steal, and destroy every second of every day. But I get it. It doesn't answer the question of why God allows that, does it? So let's put our big boy and big girl pants on this morning and arm wrestle with some of this stuff. Okay, But here's my commitment to you. I'm not going to give you 20 cent answers to million dollar questions. If you ever hear anybody, whether it's a church leader or someone up the road that tells you they understand everything about God, run like hell because they're lying. None of us understand everything about God. Myself included. But I do want to drill down into this particular topic. One of the most important distinctions, and it's a mistake that we too often make, is we confuse good with fair. And I can unequivocally tell you that God is not fair. You might want him to be. He simply isn't. I read this this week. uh, Andy Stanley, one of the leaders that uh, very influential in my life and leadership, he wrote this in in in, a, in his uh, recent book. And look, it's a little bit lengthy, but you'll get the point. He said this: "Read the Gospels, and you'll have a difficult time finding even one example of Jesus being fair. He chose twelve apostles from among hundreds of disciples. He gave preferential treatment to three of the twelve. He didn't heal everyone." He didn't even feed every hungry crowd. He stopped in the middle of a virtual parade and invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Why him? He ensured that strangers would live and allowed his friend Lazarus to die. And what about the incident at the pool of Bethesda? John tells us that Jesus singled out one man among a great number of disabled people, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, I don't mean to be crass, but you can't help but imagine Jesus tiptoeing through the crowd saying, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. And then he finally reaches the one lucky guy. And I say lucky. He'd been there for 38 years. Jesus leans down and whispers, do you want to get well? Whenever I read this, my mind goes back to my all-time favorite book in high school, Mad Magazine. And their article snappy answers to stupid questions. Does he want to get well? Seriously. Seriously. This must have actually happened because no one would fabricate that question and put it in Jesus' mouth. The man assures Jesus that he does and Jesus heals him and only him. Then tiptoes back through the crowds of sick people followed by the healed man carrying his mat. Can you imagine? Talk about unfair. How about this one? He tells the fellow known as the rich young ruler that in order to gain eternal life, he has to sell everything and join his entourage. Then a few months later, he whispers to the criminal crucified next to him that on that very day, he'll meet him in paradise. Seriously? One guy has to dedicate the rest of his life to Jesus, and the other one gets in with one minute left on the clock. I could go on and on. Jesus Seeming inconsistency drove religious leaders crazy. And, and it goes on. God is not fair. Why? Search me. Do you know? Me either. So let's ask a different question. Suffering and trials and pain do happen, right? Let's ask the question, is there a purpose in that? Can God find a purpose in that? Does God have a purpose in that? Because here's a truth in life. Suffering, trials, and pain will either Shake your faith or shape your faith. In this same book, Andy Stanley said this way, I'm way more inspired by the people who have the kind of faith that endures a no from God than those who claim their faith arm twisted a yes out of him. You know some of those people. They've been to hell and back and their faith in God is stronger than ever. And, and that's inspirational, right? Peter wrote it this way. He brings out a different metaphor. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. It's easy to believe God on the mountaintops. What about our ability to trust him in the valleys? When Jesus wraps this all up, It's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as the evidence of his victory. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff, actually. There's a lot of that sort of good stuff in the Bible. That's why I like to read it. Pretty impressive that the miniseries on the Bible outranked everything else on television on Tuesday night, huh? I like to say it a lot. not only is it the good book, it's also a good book. So what's our response to be when the unfair circumstances are happening to us? Well, Paul put it real simply. He said, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, understand there's a pattern in the Bible where God's blessing is almost always preceded by a condition. And if we meet that condition, that's the gateway to receiving his blessing. That's the condition. Sentence number one. Paul wrote, don't be anxious about anything. Here's what instead you need to do in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And that's a challenge. And no one's going to sugarcoat that. When you're going through the valley to present stuff to God with thanksgiving, okay, so no one's saying this is easy. No one's saying this is, this is going to be, you know, the, the simplest thing we ever do. But here's the deal. Present your requests to God, and here's what he will do. Here's the blessing that is triggered by the condition, by our obedience, even though it doesn't always make sense to us. And the peace of God, which transcends, or another translation says, passes all understanding, goes beyond all understanding, will Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say that the circumstances will change straight away. You understand? That's actually not the blessing that comes at the end of this condition. Okay? The promise or the blessing that comes, and it's a gift, is that the peace of God in our trials, our suffering, our circumstances, our unfair situation which transcends understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. It doesn't mean we'll understand. It doesn't mean we'll understand. And Bill Johnson, who I quoted earlier, I picked up another quote of his. And he said this, You cannot hold God hostage to your questions. He doesn't owe you an answer. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. You know, we shake our fist at him, demanding answers, and sometimes he doesn't give it. But you know what? He didn't have to. It's kind of a reminder that he's God and we're not. It's called sovereignty. He doesn't have to do everything we ask him to do. He gets to choose. And he's not fair. And we hate that. If you want the peace that passes understanding, <laughs> you're going to have to give up your right to understanding. It's called trust. And that is at the core of this entire, entire question that we're asking. I came across this video from a church in Oklahoma called LifeChurch.tv. I want to run that for you now.
1: Horatio first lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. Then in 1871, he lost everything. This famous and well-known Chicago lawyer lost all of his business, wealth, and property in the great Chicago fire. Then, in 1873, he faced an event that could have shaken his faith, but because of God's presence, his faith was once again proven. In 1873, Horatio booked a trip to Europe for his family on a ship. Business kept him behind, so he sent his wife Annie and his four daughters on ahead of him. Midway through the trip though, Horatio's family's ship collided with another ship, and within 12 minutes, the entire ship sank to the bottom of the ocean. Horatio's wife, Annie, her last memory was clinging on to his and her four daughters as she was knocked unconscious and her daughters washed away to their death. The only thing that kept Annie alive was that she was knocked out on top of a log that kept her afloat. Twelve days after his family left, Horatio received a telegram from his wife that said, Saved alone. We can only imagine his loss. Horatio Spafford immediately boarded the next ship and traveled to be with his wife. And it was when the ship that he was on passed the approximate spot of his four daughters' death, that's when God gave him the words to the song that we sang today in worship. When peace like a river. Attendeth my way When some
0: know, I actually do believe God is good. And I actually am glad he's not fair. Let me read something that the Psalmist wrote about God, reminding us that he's both good and not fair, and that we should be grateful that he's both good and not fair. God is sheer mercy and grace not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Another way of putting that is he's not fair. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's not fair. He deals with us unfairly. Aren't you thankful for that? Nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. He's not fair. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. And as far as sunrise is from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. God's not fair. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. We've done wrong to him. We continue to do wrong to him. We were born separated from him because of original sin that's in all of our hearts, in all of our lives. And we continued to do wrong against him. And he didn't treat us as our sins deserve. In fact, he so wanted to be in a relationship with us. He so wanted things to be restored to how he designed and created them in the first place. That he made the move. He emptied heaven. He sent his son Jesus to this earth. That wasn't fair. Jesus had done no wrong. And yet God sent his son Jesus to this earth to actually take yours and my place. To be nailed to a cross, dying a cruel death in our place. That's what we deserved. They were our sins that caused that to happen. And yet God's not fair, but he's good. And he allowed that to happen to Jesus. It wasn't fair on Jesus, but God's not fair, but he's good. Jesus took us, took our place. Friends, these are the actions of a God who is good and not fair. And we need to understand the duality of that. We won't understand why he's not fair, but he's not fair. But he is good. And his goodness was displayed like no other in him sending his son Jesus to die for you and for me. And I want to give you an opportunity right here, right now, to actually respond to that gift. If you've never actually placed your trust in God. You've never actually committed your life to following him. We want to give you that opportunity right now to make that decision. To say, "Yeah, I actually want to I want to know you. I want to I want to be in a relationship with a good God. I don't understand everything about you, but I want to be in a relationship with a good God." Friend, if that's you, this morning you've never actually made that decision to say, "I want to be in a relationship with a good God." Just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And we're just going to pray a quick prayer for you. Just slip your hand up real quickly. Say, God, that's me. I want to take on that gift. Awesome. Good on you. Who else? Fantastic. Who else? You say, that's me. That's, you know, I don't understand everything about God. None of us understand everything about God. But I believe that God is good. And I want to respond to that goodness by placing my trust in him, by following him. Just put your hand up. Two people have already made that decision this morning. Who else? That's your decision this morning. When I see your hand, you can put it down just quickly. We don't want to miss anybody this morning. Let's pray for those two people that raised their hand that made that decision this morning to respond to God's goodness. How about we all pray this prayer? Say these words after me. Dear Jesus, Jesus. thank thank you for moving first. Thank you for not treating me Like my sins deserve. Thank you for sending Jesus. To die in my place. In response. Today. I commit. To place my trust in you. To follow you. To make you my Lord. To give you control. From this day forward. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. How about we celebrate those two people this morning? Absolutely fantastic. Michael, I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed you know this song. You're you're like the Wikipedia of songs. (laughs) Listen, we we haven't finished yet. Uh, We've just quickly asked the question, what are we to do? What's our response when unfair circumstances happen to us? And, and I put up that reminder that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi where to come with thanksgiving and present our petitions, present our requests to God, and He will give us a gift of peace that passes understanding. That's great for us, okay But we're contributors, not consumers here as elevate church. There's stuff happening beyond our four walls, and I reminded that of us, us of that at the very outset, and there's so much more. Let me ask another question, and, and we 're going to finish off with this. In addition to to asking the question, what's our response when unfair circumstances happen to us? Let me ask the question, what's our response to be when unfair circumstances are happening around us? Which they are in our neighborhood and on our planet. Because as I've been thinking about this topic, it occurs to me that a good God who's not fair leaves the door wide open... For us to walk through. For us to take the opportunity. For us to actually demonstrate God's goodness in situations that aren't fair. That God actually calls us to demonstrate his goodness. That our response to his goodness in our life is demonstrated in these unfair circumstances in other people's lives. I want to introduce you to a 23-year-old guy named Daniel Flynn. He's a Melbourne boy. Daniel Flynn, at the age of 19, as he was coming towards the end of his university studies, he became aware, uh, implicitly aware of the implications of lack of clean water that take place in developing countries around our world. And at the age of 19, Daniel launched a a company called Thank You Water. And I actually only came across that company this week as as a result of a new campaign four years on, After founding that that company at the age of 19, 23-year-old Daniel Flynn is taking it up a level. And this video went viral this week. It actually was on the nightly news, and uh, it's going absolutely crazy. But here's an example of a 19-year-old guy, and now we get to see a snapshot four years later at the age of 23, how he saw situations in our world and continues to see situations in our world The screenshot that I showed you earlier of our world, that isn't fair, but he's walking through the doorway of opportunity to demonstrate God's goodness in situations that aren't fair. Check this.
2: Hey, thanks for coming. Look, I know we don't have much time, so we'll jump straight into it. This is yours. The Thank You Water Journey. It's been interesting. You know, over the years, uh, we've had some highs and we've had some lows. It took about three years to help 5,000 people get access to safe water. A year on from that, we celebrated 15,000. But here's where it gets cool, because today, because you made the switch to Thank You Water, over 50,000 people will now get access to safe water. But there's something we need to tell you. See, when we visited these communities, we saw how life-changing water was but we also saw some other issues. Massive issues, issues that we couldn't just walk away from and issues we knew you wouldn't walk away from either. Which is why, for the past 15 months, our team have been working flat out here at Thank You HQ, all in preparation for today. Because today, we are launching a range that brings this world more than just access to water, but a range that brings food, health and hygiene programs. A range that could change literally millions of people's lives. A range that empowers you to live every day, give every day. Now I know what you're thinking. This is a huge jump to go from water to food. And you're right, it is. But it's all been made possible with the help of this guy. This is Callum Han. Now Callum won MasterChef All-Stars, has written cooking books and runs his own cooking school. Now he joined our team as our CTO, Chief Taste Officer. He heads up all things taste and quality and has worked with some of Australia's leading suppliers to bring you a range that we know you are going to love. Yeah, check this one out. So in the range, we've got premium oats, quick oats, muesli bar, mueslis, and clusters. We filled it with high-quality, healthy ingredients and, of course, we put a lot of effort into how it tastes as well. I think I should know I've eaten one too many of the samples. Now, I can't wait for you to try it because I know you're going to love it. We think that changing the world should leave a good taste in your mouth. One of the biggest problems in the world is that nearly a billion people go hungry every day and thousands more die from hunger. So by you buying this pack, you're providing one week's access of life-changing food to someone in need. Plus you're funding a long-term sustainable food program like a fish farm, cow bank, or even a veggie patch. Now that is just the food range hand-in-hand with our water projects is health and hygiene training. It's kind of like the software that goes behind the hardware. A combination of cleaning your hands with soap and clean water will reduce 45% of water-related deaths, which is why we've launched this body care range to empower you to make a difference, starting with this hand wash. Each bottle that you purchase will provide one person with access to health and hygiene training. And in the family, we've also got hand lotion and a hand sanitizer. We've worked with some of the leaders in the market to develop a range that we love, because it smells good, looks good and feels great, but more importantly, is good for your skin. You can find out more about the entire range at our new website, www.thankyou.co. Not .com, because we thought we'd drop the M, it was quicker, cooler, whatever. Now every single product has its own unique tracker code. You type that into the website or the app and we'll give you everything. GPS coordinates, details of the projects that you've funded. You have your own profile. Once you've logged in, you'll be able to see the impact that you make all around the world for water, food, health and hygiene. You'll be able to see the detail. And then six to 18 months later, when the project's complete, we'll send you an email with a final field report of the project that you funded. Now there's a big question, where can you buy this great range? And some of our existing retail partners will be stocking it and we'll be announcing that in the coming weeks and months. But a lot of what we've seen, you're probably thinking, I'd buy that in my weekly grocery shop. And you're right. And 75% of us here in Australia shop at Coles or Woolworths. Now it's been five years and they haven't taken the water yet, but that's okay, because today, we are launching the Coles and Woolworths campaign. We think the two biggest supermarkets would love to stock a range like this. They just need to know that Australia is prepared to buy it. So, two weeks from today, we've booked a meeting with both of them. But this time, we don't plan on going it alone. We want to invite you to come with us so that when we present, they see this as more than just an idea. But this is something that people are passionate about and there's a movement who want to help make a difference. We're simply asking you to record a quick video to say, Coles and Woolworths, if you stock the thank you range, we'd buy it. Now, if you're a bit creative, unlike me, you could do a little dance or something to get their attention. Then upload it all here onto their Facebook page. Now, if that's all too complicated, you can simply write a post directly onto their wall. Then the moment the products hit the shelf. We're heading overseas to see the first projects that you've funded. We're taking the media partners with us and inviting the first supermarket to stock the range to join us. There's a couple of important things you should know. The range itself won't cost more than competitors and we think it will be as good, if not better, because we've worked with all the right people to make it happen. Now there's one question that I think you're thinking, what if this campaign doesn't work? But can I ask you to think about another question? What if it does? Because the answer to that is we go from just helping 50,000 people to soon hundreds of thousands. And then millions of people getting access not just to water, but to food, short-term and long-term health and hygiene programs. It's a range that could literally change the world. We hope you're up for it and up for this campaign. So thanks for stopping in. We'll catch you next time.
0: Pretty cool, hey? We didn't show that uh, to get you on board with the products, although I'm sold. Um, He was 19 when he started that. Instead of sitting around ignoring a problem, instead of sitting around complaining that God's not fair... He started a business called Thank You Water at the age of 19, and here he is at the age of 23. Melbourne boy, Daniel Flynn, with two of his mates. One of them is now his wife, so you know maybe it's a good dating strategy. <laughs> Become a social entrepreneur. <laughs> Snag a spouse. Uh, we showed that because, well, let me say this. Some of you won't actually, uh, God won't, won't call you to start a social enterprise. But actually, some of you, God might. Whether he does or he doesn't, the principle is the same. God isn't fair, but he's good. And he's been good to you, and he's been good to me. And in response to his goodness, and despite his unfairness, the door's wide open for you and I to do what he is calling you and I to do. Okay? It's not a comparison game. There's no winners in the comparison game. Right, Michael, you guys taught on that a couple of weeks ago. It's not a competition. But he is calling us, each one of us, in little ways and big ways to respond. You know, as we get more teens, as we get more 18 to 25s, as we get more 25 to 35s here at Elevate Church... I want to be able to show videos like that of them doing their thing. I'm just going to freestyle a little bit here. If you're over 55 here, and a few of you are, I'm not going to get you to put your hands up. Some of you can't actually get over the shoulder these days. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Sorry. all right. So, some days I can't either. Uh, if you're over the age of, of 55, I want to say, actually, increasingly, your, your goal on this, your mission on this planet is to make sure our teenagers, 18 to 25s, 25 to 35, are standing on your shoulders and are seeing further than, than you could see. And that's not a criticism of you. It's how it's meant to be. God builds generationally. So be praying for that generation. Do your part as well. God's going to call you to do some specific things, but also think generationally. Look for the Daniel Flynn's, the 19-year-old guys who who can do this sort of stuff um, that maybe you can't, you know, God's not necessarily calling you to, but build generationally. I'm 44. My life for the rest of my life is committed to investing into people younger than me, to set them up for greater wins than I've experienced, to see them have greater faith than I have, to see them go further than I will in my lifetime. That's my commitment. That's what God wants for some of you. To be focused primarily on, look for them. They won't look like you, they don't speak the same language as you. They carry around phones that, that look like computers. And, you know,, yeah, but yeah, I'm talking to the over 55s you have some stuff in you because you've experienced a God that's unfair, and yet your faith has remained strong. And that's not something you can put in a bottle. That's not something that that you can actually help share some of those life experiences.